I'm Coach Tarek. And I'm Vanessa. We are your movement experts and we are here to educate health and fitness professionals with the tools to create real change for and within the industry. Hello, friends. I had a wonderful conversation with my good friend, movement and martial arts expert, Steve Cotter. He's always a pleasure to interview because he gives his heart, soul, energy, and he has an immense intellect in the field of physical education. In fact, this conversation really revolved around physical education is salvation. And what Steve has meant by this is that think of physical activity as education for the long haul. It's all about longevity. And one of the particular themes that you will notice in this conversation is the whole thread of understanding skill acquisition. And skill acquisition, what Steve claims, actually transcends the typical fitness attributes. So think of attributes like your cardio, your strength, your power. Whilst these are all good things, learning a skill whilst you're, you're doing movement practice is very essential. So put aside martial arts. Uh, I love martial arts and Steve's an expert in it himself. It's the skill of something like throwing a kettlebell around and getting better and better at that. And the kettlebell acts as an extension to one's arm, for example, in various movements. So the whole notion of skill acquisition is that it forms long-term retention of memory. And that also then transfers or translates into other recreational movements. So sit back and enjoy this fascinating conversation with Steve Cotter. We're here with uh, Steve Cotter, who I've known for at least now since we first met in 2013, when I flew to San Diego with uh, the, the then business partner, Dan Henderson, and was we had the privilege of a few days with you, learning uh, the art and craft of kettlebells. Um, and that was a, a tremendous time. And in fact, I remember picking up a DVD of yours, would you believe it? DVD back in 2006, all those years ago. And this, this uh, highlights the, the great man himself is an early pioneer of kettlebells in the US, really one of the, what I call the founding fathers of, of kettlebells, not only in the US, but in, in, in the West, really. Um, and that's, uh, that speaks volumes of Steve. Um, there's many great uh, accolades and things to talk about with, uh, about Steve. And uh, I know that he's a very humble man and he's a good friend of mine. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tarek. Wonderful to be here with you talk to you again after a long time and uh, thanks for everyone joining us today yeah it has been a a, a little bit of uh, time since we spoke but we're always connected and we're connected on on a main uh point of purpose which is uh, about movement and the movement journey and particularly that it is a journey really rather than kind of thinking about a short-term fix that's going to be really the ethos of this and again we'll get steve to focus primarily on this topic, which is physical education is salvation. So tell me um, a little bit about the idea of, of, of physical activity is salvation and, and sort of how that ties into to who you are and your philosophy, Steve. Uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you. And so I reflect upon a, an adage or we could say a cliche that is often associated with the martial arts. We, we have probably all heard the term mind, body, and spirit as a way to sort of summarize the, the various components of the human existence. And as I've reflected upon the, the mind, body, and spirit, 
what I, what I've personally done in my in my um, communication with this with this concept is I've tried to make sense of what are these components of, of the of the human. And so what I say actually is mind, body, and breath. And I feel what I call the holy trinity of mind, body, and breath. And that's quite because if we speak about spirit, it has a very broad uh, interpretation and it can really mean different things to different people. Is spirit, is it an energy? Is it a, is it a, a God? You know, can we touch it? Can we feel it? So it's very ambiguous when we talk about something like spirit because it doesn't have the uh, sensory component where we can't see, touch, taste, or smell, or, or you know, look at it or hear it. And so instead of speaking about spirit, I speak about the breath. And so now we know exactly what we're talking about, the breath, the inspiration is to breathe in. And so this idea of this, of this all-encompassing trinity which embodies the human experience of, of mind, body, and breath. We know what the body is, and the body is the most substantial. Body is the thing that we are familiar with at all times, exists, we are embodied within the body. And so uh, we know what the body is. And when we speak about the mind, uh, we all can have a, a very good sense of what that entails. Uh, is it brain? Well, it, it may include the brain, but we, we speak really about consciousness and awareness. So we have a, a, a very strong sense of what the body is. We have a, a good sense of, of the mind. And then we have clear awareness of what the breath is. And so with this idea of the mind, body, and breath, it's a way to harmonize physical, which is the body, with the awareness and consciousness, which is the mind, and the breath is really the connection between the consciousness or the mind and the physicality of, or the body. So when I say that physical education is the salvation, it is the body which is the fastest possibility of facilitating or manifesting change within the individual. So for example, if someone is feeling uh, depressed, they can stand up, they can maybe do some jumping jacks, or they can do some push-ups, or they can do some squats. And immediately within a very short period of time, you're creating circulation, the blood is moving, and you're, you're uh, stimulating hormonal response. And it's going to uh, in a, almost immediately change the state. And so as the focus of education, I believe that physical education is the most important form of education. Uh, the reason for that is because uh, we have a lot of times when, when the idea of education is considered, uh, we normally think about perhaps university education or professional education where uh, someone is going to school and they're training their, they're training their, their brain, they're training their intelligence to learn some skills. Uh, however, someone who is extremely intelligent and extremely educated but does not have physical awareness and physical 
capacity, they are not comprehensively educated. And I consider that person a potentially very dangerous. We have very smart people that have no concept about the body. And, you know, we're, we're in a time where there's an integration of man and machine, where there's a lot of uncertainty about the, the direction that the world is going with, with the pr- proliferation of AI technology and computation and the rapid development of these modalities. There's this potential where the machine is basically catching up to the man and, and we don't know what's on the other side of that, what could be called the, you know, the, the point of no return. And so is the machine going to surpass the man to where now the, the man becomes enslaved by the machine, for example? Now, you know, now, you know we don't know, but this is, um, this is a topic of conversation. On that note, Steve, so do you think it's a problem of convenience where, you know, as a culture, you know, we've just embraced this concept of convenience to, to really make things easier. So everything becomes an effort, it becomes an effort to walk up those stairs. It becomes an effort to, you know, pick up your, your luggage, um, you know, all, all of these things that kind of the, the net effect is, is essentially movement has been substituted for the sake of convenience. Um, and I allude to the idea that uh, in philosophy back at university days, I learned about the vat in the machine, right? So it, it's this, this whole concept that that's essentially or potentially where we could head um, without that awareness. So talk to me a little bit about that, if you don't mind, and sharing with the audience, this idea of do you feel that it's a problem of convenience? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, personally, I, I believe balance. I believe in balance. I believe in um, seeking a balance. Uh, f- for example, our ancestors from a few generations ago, they, they were prior to the industrial age. So, you know, in the Western world, the industrial age has been less than 200 years. Um, you know, so it's really only been in relatively recent human history. If we consider human history exists with what is being discovered through the carbon dating technologies. Uh, there's rapid understanding and uncovering, you know, more and more artifacts. And the paleontologists are finding that uh, the hominid of, of which we descend, you know, the, the human sapien sapien, uh, we've existed for at least 100,000 or 200,000 years roaming the earth. Um, and yet the lifestyle that we are living is extremely different from the lifestyle of our ancestors from even, you know, 100 years ago. And so, um, you know, I'm not someone that believes that we can go back in time, you know, and I don't, I don't seek, you know, I don't think that it's better to sleep on maybe the, the, the dirt floor. I prefer to have a bed. I prefer to have a, a, a home with a roof. Um, I drive a car. Uh, you know, I go to the market and I'm able to source food without having to necessarily grow the food or pick the food myself. So these, these are conveniences that we're all benefiting from. However, uh, there needs to be an element of uh, discomfort in life in order to in order to grow. We, we do not grow from too much comfort. And um, as, as you mentioned, the convenience, when there's too much convenience, 
there's too much comfort. And um, while comfort feels good, comfort also creates complacency. And so we need to be able to also experience discomfort, which is challenges, which is difficulties. And I'm of mind that we need to seek out positions of discomfort in our life because we exist in a world where there's so many creature comforts, uh, so many modern conveniences that if we get sucked into that, you know, we have a generation of young people, for example, that are essentially existing on the digital platforms and they're spending all of their time, you know, on, on the, you know, on their tablets or on their phones. And we're all participating in that. Um, however, I remember, um, I'm, I'll be 54 in January. So I, I remember when I was a young kid growing up, those things didn't exist. Right. And so what I did for fun, I was the youngest of five children is I would go outside and I would climb trees <laughs> and, I, and I would go in my backyard and I would be spending, you know, hours in the tree and I would pretending like I was the commander of the starship enterprise and, um, you know, but, or, or I would hike through the woods, you know, or I would throw rocks in the stream or, you know, or I would ride my bike. And then, you know, you came in when you hear the dinner bell, <laughs> it's like, be back for dinner. Um, you know, and again, we can't, we can't undo or go back in time, but it's amazing how rapidly, uh, civilization has changed in a relatively very short period of time to where we do have a generation now where they're not experiencing physical education at all. Um, if we look at the public schooling now, certainly will differ in different parts of the world. I can't speak, speak to the global process, but certainly in the United States where I'm, where I'm based, um, you see that funding is, is often cut first from the PE or from the physical education. And so you have many schools where there really isn't gym class anymore. You know, they may have recess for 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but there's no structured physical education. And, you know, as a result, we're, we're having children that if they're not participating in some sport, which is sort of an auxiliary, you know, something that their parents invest in where they can play, whether it's, you know, football or some other sport for those children that don't have that, potentially they're not getting any exercise at all anymore. Um, they're, they're in front of the television, you know, they're sitting in the car, they're sitting at the desk, um, you know, they're sitting at the table and we're seeing young people growing old very quickly because they're not utilizing their body. They're not expressing their physicality due to the environment that they're growing in. And that's exasperated when you're in an urban environment, which is, you know, more and more people. If you look at the population of the world, I don't know exactly what the popular, what the percentages are, but you know, more than, more than 60% of humanity live, lives in urban centers nowadays. So, you know, concrete jungle, if you will, they're not, they're not having the opportunity to run around barefoot on the grass or to, you know, or to climb trees or to throw rocks or these types of things. And, 
Um, I think that's very uh, harmful. I think it's very dangerous for the uh, for the future of humanity because um, it it creates physically incapable citizens, you know. And um, so, so when I say physical education is the salvation, we are physical. Our human history comes comes from uh, a very physical story. If you go back to the early origins of man, there was a prehistory where humans didn't even hadn't discovered fire yet. <laughs> At some point in history, humans discovered fire, and you know, with that fire, they realized they could burn the stick with the fire, and then with that burned stick. You had the charcoal, and now you have essentially the, the number two pencil. And then after that, later humans determined that they could uh, make parchment out of, you know, out of uh, brush and out of trees. They could essentially the early forms of paper, and they could take the stick from the fire and they could write on the paper, right? And now that, that gave us the ability as humans to spread the written word where I can write something on paper and now I can run or travel with that and I can pass that and bring it to someone else. And, you know, this, this populated the, the education. And we had very primitive technology, the early technologies. We had the fire, we had the stone, we had the rope, we had the stick. Early humans always had sticks, right? There, it was a part of their, part of their survival skills. You needed the stick to maybe defend yourself. You need the stick to dig into the earth, uh, maybe to carve, you know, to carve a message or maybe to, to scourge the food. And, you know, here we are now, we have the iPhone, right? And so uh, things have, you know, really accelerated to where we're so detached from primitive. And, um, but having said that, the physical self has not changed at all. In, thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, uh, we're physically the same as we have been. And yet the way that we are living and the lifestyle we are living was drastically different. And we have not adapted physically at the same rate that we are, that we have adapted technologically. Going, um, Steve, going back when you were a child, climbing that tree and, you know, foraging the woods, if you like, what were you honing? Tell, tell us about the honing of, of, of the skill that was going on, because I think this kind of relates now to how specifically we can kind of put to the fore physical, physical education as salvation, because I think that's tantamount to kind of where, how sophistication has evolved. And yes, we're seeing different levels of sophistication with, you know, wearable technologies and, you know, uh, monitoring our vitals and all of this sort of even virtual interaction like can be a good thing, but again, it, it can be almost an excuse to kind of say, well, you know, I, I can't do this because it's too difficult, right? So if we go back to the bare basics, when you were, were climbing that tree, tell us a little bit about what was going on as, as far as honing a skill and how that honing of that skill kind of allowed you to become more physically capable, but more confident perhaps, and, 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 and other elements attributed to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the physical capacity to, you know, to pull your body and developing, you know, developing the grip and developing the dexterity and the physical capacity and the coordination of, you know, maneuvering yourself up 
through this path to get to the top of the tree. You know, those are physical development, but there's also psychosocial components where, where you're decision-making and there's independence. There's independence and there's creativity in this idea because, you know, you never climb the same tree twice. You never climb the same tree the same way twice. You go up a different path, you know, a different nook, a di different cranny. And so this ability to play, it's crucial to our, not only our physical development, but to our social development, to our intellectual and our emotional development because of the um, importance of creativity, the importance of independence and decision-making. And, um, you know, that definitely guides, has guided me and did guide me uh, through my early years of spending a lot of time by myself, the youngest five and, you know, older brothers already away at college and had a sister five years older, but at that age, I wasn't, you know, hanging out with my sister. I was picking fights with her, <laughs> you know, and uh, climbing the roof, jumping off the roof, you know, these type of things, uh, going through the fields, picking strawberries, going through the woods, this type of thing, um, swimming in the rivers. And so, yeah, the, uh, the ability to, to play and to explore uh, in an environment that I guess by today's standard, you know, very, very safe. There, there's, there's no such thing as security, really. It, it's, it's kind of a concept, but, you know, there's always uh, a potential for danger, always exists. But, you know, we didn't have, you know, I, I think a lot of it is the media and the proliferation of, of the media and the, the ease of access that we have to media where there's this potentially the perception that the world is extremely violent and extremely dangerous and all we have to do is look on Twitter or look on YouTube and see these crazy videos of people being violent, people being attacked. And, you know, that can, especially for a young person, it's very impressionable. That can create the uh, perception that, you know, it's, it's dangerous to leave your house. And I, I don't think it's that bad, you know, but generally speaking, you know, when I was growing up as a young boy in the 1970s, uh, you know, we didn't have these types of concerns. Parents would send you outside to play and there wasn't concern about, oh, you're going to be kidnapped or you're going to be, you know, uh, abducted or something like that. And that ties back into the aware awareness component, right? So you, you obviously got the, the mind and it ties into to this sort of, um, I suppose, bodily transformation insofar as getting stronger, you know, climbing that tree, the mountain, whatever it may be, also sharpens the mind to be more privy to potential actual dangers, but also to, to, to have that foresight then to kind of go, well, I get a sense now to kind of not go deep into that jungle or... So, it, it, you know, could you talk a little bit about that and how that ties in, you know, the, the, the honing in of, of, of greater levels of awareness and how that unfortunately is missing because of this perceived degree of threat, right? That's been um, promulgated, if you like, by media and, um, and, and just in society in general, right? But stay away. Well, where's the actual threat, you know? You know, we live, we live in a, a civilization where I believe that there's uh, excessive stimulation in general. 
too much information, too much access, uh, uh, too much noise. And unless we intentionally separate ourselves from that, which is a very good practice to do, at least periodically, this stimulation in the form of technology, whether it's, you know, the radio always, always uh, playing or the TV always on or the, you know, the phone always on or the computer always on and um, this rapid rapid transfer of electronic information that is faster than what the eye can see and faster than what the conscious mind can process. So it's really impacting us subconsciously. Um, it clouds the intuition and, you know, the, the intuition is a component of the human where, um, you know, I guess we can say in simpler times, or if you're in a, maybe a more rural environment where you have more access to uh, a natural environment, you're outside more, you're around the trees and the plants and the animals more, you're going to be more sensitive to your intuitive self. And the intuitive self gives us a lot of information, you know, uh, the feeling like, oh, Maybe I shouldn't go that way. I shouldn't go left. I'm going to go right. Something doesn't feel right. And it's not necessarily a, a conscious awareness, but it's a sensation that comes from within. And um, we don't speak about or teach about the intuition in our society. You know, our children are, are taught about their intuition too much in our curriculums. What's arguably the the forgotten piece of the mind, right? Like as you said, the the, the mind you have a certain the the brain, you know, the logical levels, but but actually we transcend that. For example, through imagination, right? Just as Einstein said, right? A, 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 getting from A to B is 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 very logical, but going beyond that is imagination is required. So it's interesting, isn't it? That that intuition and all these other higher elements seem to because they can't really be quantified, right? Um, even though we're um, paranormal activity now is becoming a lot more understood at a, at least a scientific level. Yet the media still downplays it, and you might hear it in the mo- in a movie where you know no that that there's no science to it, but actually, in actual fact, there is. Um, so that paranormal activity really is is our, our inner power, right? So just as we're thinking technology and AI can get greater, actually, we haven't really tapped into let's call it nowhere near as much as we actually have the abilities to, right? So we have this inner technology that is either suppressed um, because it's not really favoured or, or, or taught in this logical system um, or obviously the, the promulgation of the fear, right? So it's interesting to, to, to kind of note that because you talked about the mind being more than the brain and I think elements of the mind include intuition. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, yes, I believe so. You know, there's, a, there's the idea of that we have four brains some, some will say that we have four brains. And so we have the, the brain in our head, which is the brain we normally think about when we speak about the brain. That's our conscious, that's our intellect, that's our cognition. It enables us to, it involves language, it involves computation, and we, you know, um, mathematics, can do calculations, uh, we can formulate uh, creative ideas. So we have this brain. We also have the brain of the heart. And so traditional societies, they consider the center of the brain here, 
black here. And so they gave more credence to the heart and the feeling than they did to the thinking. We also can consider the gut one of the brains. So the third brain is the gut. So it's the digestive intelligence, uh, how we respond to foods, how we process, how we assimilate foods, how we digest. And then in more recent times, we've come to understand more about the fascia system. So we can say that the fascia is the fourth brain. The fascia is the, is the network which sort of synchronizes and links everything together within the body. It has to do with movement and kinesthetic awareness. Um, you know, so where that intuition is coming from, I don't know. Um, I think it's part of our, it's, it's part of our innate uh, intelligence, uh, whether it's, whether it's coming from the, this brain or whether it's coming from this brain or whether it's coming from the brain and the fascia, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe we will, we will learn more in time. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk uh, on the point of excessive stimulation and specifically a question from your perspective is how does physical activity help to organize the amount of stimulus or to kind of redirect into a point of focus? Can you talk a, a little bit about how physical activity can, can, can help with those of us who are overstimulated? Yes, absolutely. And to be clear, you know, I put great value in education. I think education is extremely important. I respect everyone who pursues education. However, the traditional model of education says that we're supposed to follow a particular process. Like you go to, you go to, you go to school, then you go to university, then you go to, you know, postgraduate master, PhD, and that's sort of the traditional model of education. What I believe is that self-education is the most profound method of education. You know, so in my case, for example, I'm constantly throughout the day when I'm not in conversation or if I'm not spending time with, with someone, if I'm just by myself, I'm always listening to books. I don't watch television. I don't watch podcasts, except for this one. <laughs> You know, and a couple, a couple of, you know, people that I, I really like, but generally speaking, um, I'm just listening to audiobooks, and, and it can be on all types of subjects. You know, I love history. I love philosophy. I love studying about religion, but I also, you know, love studying about things that I know nothing about, you know, um, biomedical physics and so on. So I'm, I'm constantly consuming information throughout the day. And that's part of, you know, the self-education. To your question about the, about the physical component, when we're, when we are, we, we call it exercising, you know, most people would call it exercising or fitness. I call it training. Okay. So, there, you know, uh, again, it's uh, tomato, tomato on some degree, but it's also a, a way of looking at things. I consider training differentiating from, you know, exercise. And the primary differential is that training is to develop a particular skill. And so all the training that I do is skill-based training. In other words, 
if it doesn't develop some useful skill, it has no place in my curriculum, uh, whatever that skill may be. Now, you know, from an athletic perspective, that might mean it's going to help lift more reps or it's going to help me jump higher or it's going to help me run faster. You know, now in, in my, you know, my fifties and what I'm into, I'm into jujitsu. I love jujitsu. I'm training jujitsu every day. So for me, I look at training as, is this going to benefit me? Is it going to benefit my jujitsu in some capacity? Um, you know, but it, it can be, it can be anything. It can be training for a sport. It can be training for some aesthetic, if that's what you're interested in. It can be training for, you know, uh, some particular event that you want to, you know, prepare for. Maybe, maybe someone's getting ready for a wedding and they want to, look a certain way. So again, that's more of a aesthetic component. Not one is better than the other. It's a very individualized component. However, when we are in the training process, there's nothing else going on. You're, you know, so, and you and I, you know, have very similar um, interests and we followed, you know, similar paths in terms of our expertise of, you know, you, you also being one of the pioneers in kettlebell and spreading kettlebells and, you know, functional, functional fitness and health tools, uh, you know, and that, that's kind of the flavors that, that I've gravitate, gravitated towards that you've gravitated towards in earlier eras, you know, bodybuilding was sort of the main thing where people were like, okay, we're doing curls for the girls or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but the training process itself, you're not watching television. You're not thinking about something else. You're not, you know, checking your, your email or your social media. You're focusing on your breathing. You're focusing on your posture. You're focusing on the movement and the quality. At least, you know, someone who is well-educated and they're going to focus on the quality of every single repetition. Um, you know, and in that process, you are 100% present. And this is, again, ties into why I say physical education is the salvation because it is the one place we, where we are completely holistic in our presence. Our mind, our body, and our breath is all synchronized and working towards that common objective which is the performance of the execution of the skill. We'll call it present moment awareness. And, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of this, as, as, as you know, too. I, I, I preach and teach it and, and do it myself. And I know that when my mind does wander in the past, when I have, I've actually, that's when I've got my injuries, right? Like I, my mind's been totally off because I'm thinking about something in the past or in the future. But all of a sudden, that bad technique with a heavy lift, bang, um, you know, it, it, it's game over. So... Talk a little bit more about, if you may, to the audience, the listeners, about the importance of this present moment awareness and how it ties into your point of more skill versus just attributes of, of training. My uh, awareness and my experience, what's led me uh, to, to where I am, is that skill is the most important component of training. And there has to be a skill component to what you're doing and how that ties to the presence is essentially the 
the mind or the mental focus, your focus of your energy, you know, the mind is what is focusing your energy towards the object. And so uh, when we are, we are dissipating part of, part of our power is, is going in some other direction outside of the task at hand. You know, in, in that case, you know, if you go into say your, your workout and you're really distracted or you're thinking about something else, it's probably best to put the weight down or put the kettlebell down or put the, you know, whatever, whatever form of training you're doing, put that aside and kind of, you know, maybe do some deep breathing, clarify, you know, clear your mind and then, you know, go back to it when you can really put your attention into what you're doing. I believe one perfect rep is worth more than a thousand sloppy reps. You know, so it's not uh, practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> perfect practice makes perfect execution. But just about the output, about the 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 output. It's the it's the quality of of that output. I think is important. And and what I did want to clear up though to listeners is, is is what you mean by attributes, uh, like your strength and endurance and and those qualities of fitness. Yeah, I want to confirm the difference between skill and attributes. Right. Right. Absolutely. So attributes uh, are important and they contribute. So if we're looking at an athlete, you know, the attributes are going to uh, play a role in the performance and in the success. And, and that will vary the different sports. Certain sports, the attributes have a bigger impact. Other sports, the skill will have a much bigger impact. Um, you know, for example, I would say something like if you're talking about American football. Attributes go a long way. If the guy's 320 pounds and, you know, he's six foot six <laughs> and, you know, he can run really fast, you can turn that guy into a, into a lineman. You can turn him into a football player. And, you know, uh, even if he ha- doesn't, even if he hasn't developed skills, you can put him there and he's going to develop the skills based the attributes put him in the position where he can play the sport. Whereas you may have, you know, another athlete who is more skillful in terms of the techniques and the footwork and the hand positioning and knowing where to be on the field, but maybe they're only 180 pounds and they're five foot eight. They don't have the attributes, even though that they have the skill. So they're not going to, but you take another sport like jujitsu, it's completely opposite. Jiu-jitsu, you can have someone who, you know, can bench press 400 pounds, can squat 600 pounds, you know, and is, is fast, is strong, is, you know, aggressive. But if he doesn't have the technique, the smaller, weaker, more skillful person is going to be that larger, stronger, more athletic person. And that happens all the time in a sport like so, um, yeah, so, so the, the fundamental difference is the attributes are like the physical characteristics that we would uh, consider objectives of training. So, for example, your maximal force development, your speed, uh, your coordination, your balance, accuracy, right? These are examples of attributes that can be developed through training. Skill is the sport specificity of the game that you're playing. And so, um, 
you know, just because you have a strong arm and you can, you know, shoulder press any heavy weight, it doesn't mean that that strong arm is going to make you a professional baseball pitcher who also has a strong arm, right? That pitcher probably can't press as much as you, but he can pitch much better because that's a skill. And, and the skill is more of a, well, there's a neuromuscular component, you know, the neural patterning where, where they're learning how to activate body along the kinetic chain in a precise, uh, in a precise sequence to create the output. That's the skill acquisition or that's the skill, uh, expression of skill. The attribute of the things we develop in the gym, the skill is the thing that you develop in the practice of the sport itself. Beautiful. Thank you for the summary. Now we're, we're kind of edging. We've, we've covered so, so much terrain here and in, in the show notes, we'll have, um, uh, a breakdown of, of all of the, the, the key, um, discussion items, um, of course, as well as following Steve Cotter, um, on, on Instagram and, and there'll be links there. Um, however, I do want to ask you this uh, question that I ask all um, guests. If you could change one thing about the, the health, fitness, medical industry, right, um, today, what would it be from your perspective? Uh, we have to move away from a disease model into a health model. And so the assumption is that someone is sick. The assumption is that there's something wrong with the person that they come to the doctor with you're sick there's something wrong with uh or it may be a belief about yourself or i'm sick because i have some symptom and so i must be sick and this 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 is there's a psychological problem there's a belief system involved with that um instead a health model is, is, is so transitioning from a disease focus to a health focus in other words, you come to the doctor and the doctor's response, instead of saying or thinking, oh, you're sick or something wrong with you, so we need to prescribe you maybe this medicine or this procedure. Instead, the thought process is, you're well, okay, you're well, but you're a little bit out of balance. There's a dis-ease, right? literally a disease, which is means you're not at ease, you're away from ease. And so we need to bring you back to ease again. And there needs to be a, a yeah, you know, I guess the answer is that um, it's become too much of an industry, the, the medical industry. It's become a medical industry and the nature of industry is it's a profit-driven motive. And that's hard to reconcile when we're talking about medicine because uh, the, the purpose of medicine is healing. You know, and, and if you go back even less than 100 years ago, doctors didn't believe that they could heal someone. That wasn't part of it. The, they believed that the healing occurs from God or some greater power. You know, maybe you're not religious, you don't identify with the idea of God, but the idea that there's an energy, there's a life force that exists. And so the healing is coming from that. If you're out of alignment with that, you need to be brought back 
to. So what a doctor does is it helps to facilitate the realignment of the patient into balance when they're out of balance. Um, you know, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as being ill or being sick. We have to understand that there's health and there's absence of health. There's wellness and there's absence of wellness. And so, yeah, we need to, to move towards the embracing the idea that we are already healthy. And that goes a really long way. You know, when, when you see yourself as healthy, when you feel yourself as healthy, you are healthy. Uh, the mind is tremendously powerful. You know, it's tremendously powerful and it impacts uh, the way that we experience life. Mm, it's a great, great perspective, Steve, to look at it from an angle of absence of, as opposed to being broken or ill, um, you know, that sort of negative focus or connotation, because you, you're totally right, because um, someone could, could be one day perfectly well, and for whatever reason, the following day become totally ill. And it's about being either on course or off course. So I, I love that perspective of the absence of. And it's the, the possibility, therefore, the potential to then be on the road and on the journey back to full health, which really has been the, the essence of, of, of this chat and topic is physical education um, is salvation. And I feel that um, we've covered some, some really good ground here. And of course, we can have numerous other conversations. I'd love to bring you back um, into the, onto the Purpose Driven Movement podcast because you've got so much to give. And every time we, we, we've met, had conversations it's always been enriching, and I hope that the listeners um, have have gained um, some valuable insights here. And you know, we're always like looking at how can we think bigger rather than think small. You know, it's so easy in our industry, call it to really think small. My my way is the best way, my method, right? But to actually expand um, outside of ourselves and reach out to the the tentacles of, of other great minds um, and bodies. <laughs> Um, and, and I love the idea of the power of the breath really being the power of the spirit. Cause that, that is my own personal belief system that, that, um, life is breathed in. So when we, when we breathe in, we receive, when we breathe out, we give, it's a receiving and giving essence of, of, of inspired. So all of this is, 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 is really, um, music to my ears and, and, and hopefully the, the, the listeners have sort of maybe shifted in, in, in their thinking, even that, that slight little bit. Um, and so again, uh, for those in the show notes, uh, you can get links to Steve Cotter, um, International Kettlebell Fitness Federation, IKFF, um, and, and follow Steve Cotter on Instagram as well. So Steve, I know, does a, a lot of, gives a lot, um, and you'll see some, some, some great um, physical skills that, that's, that Steve um, goes through as well with uh, his, his rolling jiu-jitsu and kettlebells, and I'm always admiring those videos. So you can follow Steve there. And once again, really appreciate you, Steve, uh, for, for giving uh, your time on the other side of the world, as we say, from where I am. <laughs> and you could you could say, say much the same. But again, um, in, the, in the true spirit of it, um, really grateful um, for having you and, and we'll uh, catch up with you sometime soon. Thank you so much, Terry. Good to see you, my friend. From the bottom of our heart, thank you for being a part of our podcast community. We work hard to create content that we hope you enjoy and find valuable. If you haven't already, we would be honored if you would consider subscribing and following us on your favorite platform. 
That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always be the first to know when new episodes are released. We truly appreciate your support and we can't wait to continue to grow and connect with you through our podcast.